You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. Ephesians 5, 17-21 reads, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Um, this is like somewhat of like a um, theme verse for us, I guess. I um, we, the book of Ephesians is sort of Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, answering questions of what it means to be the ecclesia or the church, and um, I don't know. It, it's interesting how he answers this, especially with that subject yourself to one another. Serena, how do you think Paul's command to the church to submit to one another should inform how we define church today? I think it should lead us to define church not by defining ourselves against some other group or idea, but by defining ourselves in relation to Christ and therefore with all others who claim his name. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Hopefully your favorite church unity podcast or one of them. You know, we have another one we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm here alone. TJ couldn't make it, unfortunately. But but we have your other favorite church unity podcast host. My, my brain's like 1619 and 1776. Serena Higgins. Um, I know there's a bunch of letters after that name. A scholar, a friend of Nick Polk friend of our show, you know. Uh, welcome to welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here talking with you today. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a good time. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about the two dates that are the name of your podcast, about uh, your own beliefs, why you started a Church Unity podcast. Maybe we'll remind people why we started a Church Unity podcast. We'll see. See how that goes. Um, man, I am excited to get into this. And since TJ's not here, I have to convince the listeners to go check out the AMP Network website. Listen, I'm not a good convincer. Just do it because TJ wasn't here and I didn't know how to convince you to do it. So just, you know, just do it as a courtesy or because you feel bad that I had to try and figure out how to do this. <laughs> and of course, you could also go over to our store. We got some real comfy shirts. If you go in our show notes, you can go to the store, get a hashtag one church shirt and uh, get, it, get it like extra large so you can wear it to bed. It's great. So, that being said, I now get to participate in my favorite form of church unity, which is silliness. It's a great spiritual practice that I that I like to uphold here on our show. So, I'll answer this question first, let you think about it. If you had to rename your favorite sport, what is the worst name that you can think of for it? Man, honestly, I did this one just so I could hear TJ's answer. I just want to know what the worst name for hockey would be. So I'm a little disappointed, but uh, let's see. If I had to give football a terrible name, um, Renaissance Rugby. I think Ooh. that would be my worst name for football. Yeah. I actually like that name. I'd be much more inclined to want to watch it if it were named that. 
Uh, Serena, what, what do you got? Well, maybe mine will help him because you see, there's a there's a problem built into this question. It assumes that one has yeah. a favorite sport. Well, what if one to... does not watch any sports? So for me, it would have to be ballroom dancing or ice skating. But see, ice skating, okay. hockey. So uh, ice skating. How about knife dancing on the rocks? Ooh, ooh, I like it. I like it. Solid answer. So maybe Solid for hockey, answer. knife fighting on the rocks. Oh, you see, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah, or ice skating with more fights. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So on to what we think of us like the real show, or as what TJ calls it, <laughs> is one thing we find that really helps with church unity is to hear one another's story. Um, Serena Higgins, would you mind sharing with us some about your faith journey and your relationship with the church and all that? Whew, um, that's a really, really difficult question for me right now. Um, my faith journey is in a very swampy and dark place right now, or I am in a dark and swampy place along that journey. Uh, I I was raised in a very fundamentalist, right-wing Christian community, young earth, purity culture, you name it. And it's, it's been a gradual and rather gentle journey away from that as I became an academic and learned a lot more about science and history and ideas. And then the gentle aspect of the journey ceased in 2020 when a huge chasm opened up between me and many members of my Christian communities whom I loved and cared for. And they ended up on the other side of the canyon, Mm -hmm. um, hurling missiles at one another. (laughs) I haven't had a a home church since Mm -hmm. spring 2020. And where I am right now, I'm in a a very rural area, an area of fairly low population. And one has to choose between churches that, well, we'll probably get into the nitty gritty as we go along, but there are churches on either side that affirm things that I find troubling and that I think are probably contrary to the will of God. And so one has to choose, well, okay, we'll just put it right out there for for a teaser. have to choose essentially between affirming racism or fornication if you're going to attend a church here in this area. So we've been only attending sporadically and watching another one online and sort of trying to balance getting a good sermon in an asynchronistic way and getting some community locally. But I feel very broken by what the American church has been through recently. Yeah. And I, um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people probably feel pretty similarly in a pretty close situation, you know, um, Unplanned. Some of our most recent guests, that's kind of been the big topic. We had a um, father, I can't, I think it was Father Aaron Westman was his name, came on and he was talking about a book he wrote about polarization in America and that kind of stuff. And then right before him, we had um, Caitlin Chest. Nice. Yeah, she was on talking about her most recent book about, uh, you know, how the church should approach some political ideas. And we don't want the church to be a place of politics. We also don't want it a place that ignores these things or ignores the Bible, perhaps. And yeah. is it is it possible not to be political anymore? I don't think it is. I mean, so many things are political that used to be just everyday decisions that I don't think it's possible to be apolitical in our in our moment of history here in this country. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, one thing I really like that uh, Caitlin Chess said. She was talking about um, people don't really mind politics; they mind partisanship mm-hmm. and there's that and, and i think you know she's she's on point like as long as we focus on these actual smaller things in our own community a lot of the times 
we might disagree about how to do things, but agree about what we're trying to do. Like, yeah, we want better education for the poor people in our communities. How are we going to make that happen? You know? And, and yeah, I think we, we ignore that. I mean, even I think we just ignore nuance. Like, honestly, like, like I know, I know it's not, not trying to get too off topic, but I mean, you know, there's this point of you're either our side or the other side. You're, there isn't a, a, a nuance thing. I mean, you, you know, fornication or racism, and there isn't this nuance thing of how do we approach race differently or how do we view these different forms of sexuality and what we've discovered about biology. It's just, do we like it? Do we not like it? Right. And it's not a, the com- it's like we skipped the conversations. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And just went to decisions. We do because we, when we speak, we speak in code and we'll say a word or a phrase that it's as if in our minds, we double click on that word or phrase and it opens a massive, huge um, article and the article is on one partisan site or another in our minds. And so if I hear someone use such and such a phrase, you know, then I, I put them in that box. I put them in that category. So even when you said, oh, we all want to help the poor have better education, my mind was like, oh, I know people who would say that's a left-wing agenda. People ought to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Why should we spend our money on that when you know, um, people could be doing more to get their kids in better education and we can be spending the money on something else? Yeah. yeah. Also, just a side note, <laughs> my biggest pet peeve ever is when people use that phrase in that particular way of pulling yourself by up by your bootstraps like you know the whole point of that phrase is that it's literally impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps right mm-hmm. yep just you know not neither here or there it's just a you know pet peeve um what what about uh your history with academia and we talked some about the church i know a lot of people are in a similar situation and we're probably going to go back to that but um as far as i know you're a bit of a scholar we met you through uh nick nick polk's friend of our show and he knows you through like Tolkien stuff. So could you kind of just uh, give some of your background on that? Sure. I have a master's degree in English and there I wrote my thesis on C.S. Lewis and the development of his idea of joy or longing or Sehnsucht. I looked at all the different terms that he <laughs> used for this and their different implications. That was a fascinating study for me to find out how his thoughts evolved. Mm-hmm. And then I have a PhD in English literature And there I focused on occult playwrights in the first half of the 20th century, which has some interesting overlap with the Inklings. So I do a little bit of work on Tolkien, but my main subject of study is Charles Williams, who was one of his friends. Yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know, the Inklings are just... um I'm, I'm going to say this in the worst way possible. Basically, a, a group of really smart friends that, that talked deeply about writing, theology, and that kind of stuff. And it included C.S. Lewis, Higgins, Tolkien, a bunch of other incredible people that I just like. Uh, it's like the, the Olympic basketball team, but of like smart people. Yeah, that was pretty good yeah. description. Um, C.S. Lewis said in a letter to Charles Williams, he said, we're a group of friends and what we share is Christianity and a tendency to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even yeah. in the Christianity, they were quite varied. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is um, honestly, which would be an interesting topic for either of our shows, just kind of examining how they were able to have unity with their disagreements. Because even Tolkien and Lewis had some pretty significant theological disagreements even though lewis came to faith because of tolkien Mm -hmm. they were just able to like hold that loosely and still 
being convenient. Yeah, I think Tolkien was disappointed that Lewis never took the final step to becoming <laughs> a Roman Catholic. Yeah. And then you had Barfield, who was an anthroposophist and believed in reincarnation. And then you had Charles Williams, who was an occult master. They were quite an interesting group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just wild stuff. Worth studying, worth looking at. Um, you know, our other show, Systematic Geekology, we uh, talk about what we geek out on. Maybe one day we'll have you over there and talk all all kinds of inkling stuff. Oh, you and Nick to together. Inklings <laughs> in the occult, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. But we have another thing that we like to do to help people get to know our guest. And TJ is supposed to do this because I take too long to say things. I'm not speedy at all. <laughs> But we do what we call our speed round segment. We're going to ask you a series of questions about what you believe. And we just ask that you answer each one in a single sentence or just say skip if you don't think you can. Or if you're just like, yeah, I just don't want to answer that one. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and we're not allowed to ask any follow up questions. So Ooh, am I allowed to cry while I do these? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. OK, good. You think you're ready? I'll cry or howl. OK, <gasps> ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. Who or what is God? God is a spirit. He is a personal being, and in himself, he contains community and unity and love. Mm, I like that one. I like that one. Okay, what is salvation? Salvation is moving out of the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. Hmm beautiful sentence. What is the significance of baptism and the Eucharist? Oy, 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 oy. They're more than just symbols. Baptism is both a representation and possibly an enactment of that move from death to life. And the Eucharist is a participation in the body of Christ, whether that means his physical body or the other believers who are, hmm. are part of his church. Hmm. Okay, okay. What authority does scripture have? Uh, it was authored <laughs> by the Holy Spirit in some kind of mysterious collaboration with human writers who had a certain amount of literary freedom. Hmm, hmm. Okay, okay. What authority does tradition have? It's important to consider tradition rationally, but there is no tradition. There's just all kinds of shattered traditions, plural. Hmm. Hmm. All right. What are your views on destiny or predestination? I'm probably a heretic. I'm probably a hyper-Calvinist because I think absolutely everything is predestined. <laughs> All right. What? Uh, or Yeah, no. Just can God change? No. But our understanding of him and the ways we express that in our cultural context changed dramatically. Hmm. Okay. okay. This is uh, just a little more personal. What do you love about the Bible? That it's a great work of ancient literature. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. What do you love about the church? Um, skip. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which of, if any, of the seven sacraments do you follow? Baptism, Eucharist, and marriage. But in my tradition, we call them ordinances. Hmm. All right. Okay. That's, you know, that's fair. That's fair. That's good. Good speed Thanks. round. Uh, you know, I'm proud of myself for, yeah, for not asking follow-up questions. Pretty speedy. <laughs> it's so hard not to ask follow-up questions. It but <laughs> you did wonderful as well. All single sentences, I believe. I think, uh, you know, the Eucharist and Baptist one, you might have used a little bit. There were few, some semi yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It works. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Serena, you are our first guest that also runs a Church Unity podcast. So what can you tell us about your inspiration to start your show? The inspiration for this show was despair and heartbreak and essentially being outcast from a church that we adored because they suddenly decided to take a partisan stance and basically said, Mm. if you're not comfortable with that, you're free to look elsewhere um, after having discipled us beautifully for, for four years. So I really couldn't live with that. And what does a scholar do when they can't live with something but research it, dig into it even more? So I decided to invite on pastors and ministers and ask them, what the heck is going on and what do we do about it? Hmm. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's a good answer to that. (laughs) So how did you settle on the name for your podcast? You have two different dates, 1619 and 1776. Well, I'm glad to say that now in August of 2023, those two dates don't seem to be quite the flashpoints that they were in 2020 and early 2021, but they were at the moment when I started the show. So the 1619 Project, you and your listeners may be aware, it was a journalist, an investigative journalistic project that essentially says, if we tell the narrative of the history of the United States, but we start it with the year when the first enslaved people were brought to these shores, and then we follow that particular theme, what do we learn? And of course, you could tell the history of a great nation um, through any number of different themes, right? Because it's so complex. And they said, well, what if this is the theme that we emphasize? And we look at how did slavery affect our economics and our police force and our agriculture and our education and our music and so on and so forth. Um, In response to this project, the Trump administration commissioned the 1776 project, which said the 1619 project is unpatriotic. We should instead focus on uh, passionate patriotism and Christian nationalism and look at how our country is essentially this bright and shining city on a hill, the new Jerusalem and so forth. And it rejected the 1619 as being a pessimistic view of American history. So to me, those two viewpoints were good microcosms for different sides of debates Mm -hmm. because what people thought about the COVID pandemic tended to line up. What people tended to think about approaches and attitudes towards sexuality and race tended to line up on those. So that's why I chose the title. Now, if I if I move forward with the second season, it's time to to change the title. But that one worked for the first season, I think. Yeah, yeah. I um. So would you say that your show is primarily geared towards the American church or churches in America? Yes, I focused it that way on purpose because yeah. I didn't feel equipped to uh, <laughs> take on the global church right now. Plus, I was looking at specifically American problems and even a little bit more in yeah. the evangelical side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, especially a lot of our church friends in like European countries are like, why, why are you guys doing some of this? Right. Like right. they have their own problems, but some, some they of ours do. is just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And doesn't our church have a particularly vexed relationship with politics in its yeah. relatively short history? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. So would you say your show is more for like lay people, ministers, or scholars? I had in mind that it was more for ministers because mm-hmm. I thought they were the ones that could learn action points. But from reports from listeners, it seems that it was more lay people mm-hmm. listening to it. Several of the guests were also scholars. So I'm sure it could be appealing to a scholarly audience as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. I think ours is like a mix of lay people and ministers and I think so. Yeah. Definitely started off more lay people. And then I think as different guests and stuff came on, I think that's when ministers, it, it's almost like they, they waited to see if we were going to do it long enough for them to care. <laughs> and then we started seeing more ministers actually interacting okay. and be like, Hey, we're following the show a little bit more. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that's why, you know, <laughs> maybe they just were like, hey, now you guys don't suck as much. I don't know. Well, maybe because <laughs> you guys take the theology seriously and they wanted to see how rigorous that part would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say is the most surprising thing that you've learned or heard while hosting your own interview so far? It's connected to what I mentioned a little bit earlier about coded language. The most surprising thing to me is that I'll have I had guests who were as far apart on the sociopolitical spectrum as you could imagine, who would use the same words and mean opposite things, or use very similar phrases with a word changed, and the changed word would indicate an entirely different world of belief. Uh, would an example be helpful there? Yes. <laughs> okay. So here's an example. One of my guests talked a lot about how our identity must be totally in Christ. I mean, hooray, obviously, right? Doesn't, yeah. doesn't every Christian agree with that? Um, I listened to a six-week like Wednesday night class from that pastor, and it turns out what he meant was, if you are a non-white person and you say that your race is important to your identity and that other people need to bring your race into account when interacting with you, you can't be a Christian because you've made an idol out of your oh. race. So it turned out that he, and he actually said in this class, there is no racism in this country except anti-white racism. Um, and he condemned the Black Lives Matter movement and so forth. So it turns out that he was using what sounds like a perfectly orthodox mm -hmm. Christian yeah. phrase as a partisan weapon yeah. to yeah, hit certain sure. people with. So that was a very surprising yeah. thing to me. Yes, yeah, uh, gross. Um, <laughs> I Austin, I'm just going to be honest today. Um, you. you know, I'm going to pull pull back the curtain a little bit on some behind the scenes stuff with with us. So we we are part of the Anazal Ministries podcast network, the AMP network, um, and we helped put together like kind of the paper and kind of like figuring out what do we want people to agree with to be part of this thing right like we, we don't want everyone to be the same we're church unity guys but we also don't want someone to come on and do like hate speech or heresy and i i ran it by some of the most progressive christians i knew and some of the most conservative christians i knew i was like hey how does this look to you and the one thing that stood out the most to me that was just so surprising was the phrase that we understand that christ died for everyone and that includes anyone of any race any of whatever from the progressive side was seen as problematic because you're saying you're assuming that it's sinful to have these identities. I'm like, that's not what was said. Oh, <laughs> so they, yeah. they preferred the language of everyone is God's beloved children or God or chosen, you know, God loves everyone kind of, you know, whatever. And something about the, there was the word children used. So then the conservative side had issue with the word children. Cause you're assuming that everyone's just immediately saved. And that's like, that's not, what they were saying either <laughs> so we really had to wrestle with just the language around that of like how do we say we don't want hate speech in a way that doesn't make someone assume that you're on one side or the other of right. this thing do you remember what you ended up settling on for your wording oh uh, man i um, i can i can I think, obviously check but i think it was 
that everyone is beloved by God. I think we left out the children language and we didn't do the, or if we did, yeah. we included both. If we said okay. Christ died for thing, because yeah, we agree. We believe Christ died for everyone. We believe that God's everyone is God's beloved. Right. Hmm. But yeah, we don't think everyone's immediately saved. We don't, we don't want to like, I don't know. It's just, or think that so crazy. there are people who don't have a need. Yeah. It's just so crazy right? how much you have to like, really stretch so you're not using these trigger language especially someone like me who's not i don't think like that you know (laughs) like i just say what i mean and i'm like this is it and i just don't right i'm not very good at understanding the little nuance of like how people take certain phrases anymore Mm -hmm. and also those things change all the time they do change right and sometimes it's generational sometimes it's from one subculture to another yep yeah, yeah. There was something I something I said about the Barbie movie, and I was like, "No, that means you don't like it now." And I was like, "But that was that meant that I liked it back back <laughs> a, week, a week ago." <laughs> yeah, like what's happening? Last Tuesday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned just a little while ago you're still thinking about doing season two. Not sure yet. Um, I think when we talked before, you were planning on getting some previous guests together to discuss differing opinions. If you if you did a season two, is that right? Yes, that's right. And another part of the inspiration for the way I went about the podcast was sometimes when I've taught first year writing classes, we've used an approach called Rogerian discussion, which is a fascinating alternative to traditional debate when there's a third party moderator. And when the goal is not for someone to win the debate, but for everyone to discover their common ground, it's a really interesting method of discussion. Let's say you and I are talking about something we disagree on and you make a point. I'm not allowed to respond to your point until I restate it to your satisfaction, that you feel that I have successfully understood it. And once you tell me, yes, you've understood my position, then I can give mine, but I can't say you're wrong because X, Y, Z. I say, please consider this alternative. And so there are rules for very cordial language. Mm. So I was hoping I could get together various of my guests who held the most opposite positions from each other. So my first guest is a very passionate activist for uh, people of color. And my second guest is the one I just quoted, who had the veiled um, statements on race. So they would be Mm -hmm. a really fascinating pairing. I had a guest early on who who is an army chaplain and a strong Second Amendment rights person. And then I had a guest at the end that I was fascinated to find of all the subjects we covered, of all the controversial things, um, the one that she can't bear is people who don't want gun control. So I was like, oh, they would be a really interesting pairing because he's a gentle, soft-spoken person. He wouldn't attack Mm -hmm. her over the subject. Mm -hmm. I'm dubious whether or not to go forward with this. It's a big time commitment, obviously, you know that, um, podcasting. Mm -hmm. But I've recently been through another major life crisis in which I feel that I was unable to apply the Rogerian principles myself. So I'm worried that it would be hypocritical. But Mm -hmm. what I was lacking was I was one of the troubled parties. There was no third party mediator. So perhaps it would be okay to go ahead with it and show the importance of a mediating party to find the common ground. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think that unity and, and, and I, when I say progressive, I don't mean liberal. <laughs> it's just so, it's so hard how people, 
well, usually I do, but right now I'm trying to stay progressive without saying progressive, if that makes sense. Okay. If we're going to progress, there, there it is. Uh, I think there's always a struggle. There's always a little bit of like, oh, I, maybe I didn't do that right. I feel like there's always just pushback all along the way. I know the hardest thing for me, it's really interesting because I probably more agree with a lot of my more progressive political friends than some of my more conservative political friends. I just have a much, and maybe it's just because of how I grew up, I have a much easier time disagreeing with the conservative ones because I know that language, I guess. Ah, yeah. Okay. But when I, when I disagree with someone who's more progressive politically than me, there, there seems to be this, if I say, well, we don't necessarily know that that's true or, well, let's, let's hold off. You know, I think that's probably right. Um, also, it doesn't help that I'm the, you know, think about unity all the time and also in preparing for law school because it's like very particular about how I use words. <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, right. listen, I think it's probably better if we say probably because we could be wrong. Um, take, for example, this is, I'll just go ahead and throw myself in the fire. It's fine. Um, I think that people are probably born with something that causes them to be attracted to the same sex, you know, because there's a lot in support of that. There is nothing scientifically proven that shows what causes that, though. So it's one of those that might probably be true. But when I say that to someone, a lot of the times it's, oh, so you think that people can just choose? I'm like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> it is such a struggle. I, I, I really think language is a lot of things, but I feel like there's always a struggle with unity. There's always a struggle with figuring out how we communicate with those different than us, even if they're not that different from us. There's always just something. Where it's like, that word means what to you? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe taking into account the years and even decades of life experience that led to that point. You know, that's something else I learned from the podcast. A friend I might be talking to who holds a position that I think is abhorrent, mm -hmm. they are not unintelligent. They are not unethical. They have hours and hours and years and years of thought and experience and reading and opinion and reasoning that went into this position. Now, I might think that something was wrong every step of the way that led them to that. You know, they may have read a hundred books to come to the position and I may be like, but you read those hundred books? <laughs> um, they may have reasoned <laughs> yeah. it out rigorously and I'll be like, yes, but you started from false premises. Um, but what I shouldn't do is reject their position on the grounds of, oh, they haven't thought about it or, oh, they haven't put in the time. If they just were more thoughtful people, they would agree with me. That's not true. There are plenty of people with PhDs. There are plenty of people with higher IQs than yeah. I who think quite differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's where I really like your idea of, um, I, I can't think of how, the term for it, but restating yeah. someone else's to their own yeah. Yeah. It's satisfaction. satisfaction. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, e even thinking of like disagreements I have with my parents, this is just an easy one. You know, I, I really don't like, actually I, I am a fan of black lives matter and a lot of the stuff that goes around this, like actually treating people like they matter, supporting that, you know, um, equity stuff I care about. Um, my parents will use race like, well, all lives matter. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't mean what you think it means when certain people hear that, you know, they, they're not hearing you say all lives matter. They're hearing you say their problems don't. Matter. Right. And that kind of thing of restating someone else's position until you say it to their satisfaction, I think really would help 
navigate those kind of conversations. That's a lot the better. idea that this Rogerian can be applied in the workplace, in the courtroom, and in one's relationships. I've seen it being used in therapy sessions frequently. The you know the therapist will frequently say, "Do I hear you saying blah blah blah? Do I you know have I heard you properly?" And they give you a chance to say it back to them, and then mm-hmm. that can be helpful for you as the um, the counselee. Oh, did I say that? And then to analyze your own position. Yeah. 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 Mm, I like that. I like that. So what would you say is the biggest hurdle for church unity today? Dehumanizing the people who believe differently. Hatred, absolutism, cancel, canceling or erasing, condemnation, condemnation of those who think differently. You know, the they out there who think differently. And here's what I believe. Here's why I think we do it. Let's pick... Um, so you used sexuality as an example. Mm-hmm. So let's pick, you know, conservative churches that take a hard anti-LGBTQ stance. I think they do that because um, people in the LGBTQ community, it is frequently easy to identify those people or they self-identify. And therefore, if we condemn them, we look better. I think it's an easy thing to call out and say that's a sin because then we can feel good that we're not committing that sin. So I think it is arrogance and hypocrisy and that we condemn others for the sake of bolstering our own sense of holiness. And that I think is the biggest hurdle. If instead we spent time saying, what are our biggest sins? What are our biggest blind spots? And hey, you know, let's love those other people and realize that I'm just as messed up and broken as anybody else, I think that would be a much better way forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can be pretty cynical on, <laughs> on that. I, yeah, you know, the amount of times true. I hear pastors where a large percent of the sermon on how so you're either born a guy or a girl and they're getting really mad about it. And I'm thinking, how many people do you think are sitting in this church struggling with this issue? And do you think that's helping them? Right. I mean, it's just such a weird thing. Like for that to be the main thing that you're yelling about, to me, you must assume that a large portion here are struggling with that or else why are you yelling about it? <laughs> you know, like it's just such an odd thing to me. I think it's because that person yelling about it does not struggle with that particular issue. So they can feel mm-hmm. more godly because they're like, well, how could anybody do this? They must be you know, rebelling against God. So therefore me, I'm not rebelling against God because I don't feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also think that a lot of times pastors like finding those trigger phrases and topics that get everybody behind them because, you know, yeah. a lot of times it's it's good to feel popular or like people agree with you. Getting the amens and shouts with you are, are, is nice, you know. And there, there's also this idea that you know, we as the church have to separate from the world. And so we'll pick whatever issue in the world seems the most egregious at the moment and then use that as our punching bag as a way of mm-hmm. saying we're different from the world, i.e. we're better than those people out there. Mm. Man, that is a, a sad mm-hmm. note. <laughs> yeah. But we're not we're not over yet. We we Good. still have some happy notes we can we can do before we- this thing ends. <laughs> <laughs> um is there anything else? Like is there anything as far as like whenever you get interviewed that you get excited about when people ask that maybe you don't get asked that often? Well, this is the first time I've been interviewed on this subject. So this has all been pretty exciting because I'm frequently interviewed as an Inkling scholar, a creative writer, an English teacher, that sort of thing, but not about this subject. 
but as you can hear, I'm I'm pretty deeply wounded on this topic too. So it's a little it's a little hard to hear about it. So why don't you ask me about the dystopian short story I want to write on this topic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> so what if one Sunday morning you got a small county, right, with mm-hmm. half a dozen churches, not a whole lot of church going population. Some major disaster occurs. Doesn't matter what. The story starts after the disaster. Everybody who's not in church dies. Mm. Okay. And okay. then everybody runs outside to see the disaster and all the church buildings are destroyed but one. Happens to be the biggest one in town, which means all the churchgoers in this entire county have to live together in one building from this moment on. And I don't know what the post-apocalyptic setup is. For some reason, there's no communication with the outside world or they're the only humans left alive or whatever. And so they decide to set up a rotating worship schedule that one of the clergy persons gets, you know, there's, so there's six clergy. And so every six Sunday they get one, Um, but they're all living in the same building anyway. So they're all attending services. And so then what happens, you know, when a same-sex couple wants to get married, what does the Southern Baptist do, right? Mm. And uh, what happens when oh, all kinds of situations arise and there's <laughs> debates? And I think it would have to be kind of a choose-your-own-adventure story that it would have two roots it goes, the, the optimistic and the pessimistic. So if I can carve out the time, I want to write that story and Ooh. see where it goes. Man. Let's see. I, I kind of want to know how it ends. <laughs> well, it could go either way, right? I mean – Probably that the violence would ensue and probably yeah. there would be major fights and people would be cast out and they'd be like living in the woods. Um, but wouldn't it be neat if there were some turn, I don't know, a young couple from the most warring factions fall in love and they end up, you know, bringing some of their elders okay. along. I don't know. I don't know how it turns out. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Redefine church polity until it works. You know, it's fine. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. That's a good one. So, you mentioned you usually get interviewed about the Inklings. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Inklings topic to discuss? My favorite book is Till We Have Faces by mm. C.S. Lewis. But my favorite mm, topic is my dissertation topic, which is the overlap of the occult and theater in the works of Charles Williams. But it also has okay. some ripple effects on the other Inklings as well. What what makes that your favorite? Because uh, it gets people riled up and they want to know why. <laughs> I do want to know why. I do. But. <laughs> because it's such a strange combination, right? How can yeah. someone be a Christian teacher like Charles Williams was writing these books mm-hmm. of theology that many people, including myself, find really inspiring to our devotional lives. But then for 20 years, he was a dedicated occult master memorizing these uh, these ceremonies, practicing ceremonial magic, even practicing something very like tantric sex magic, oh. um, and doing many things that traditionally have been thought to be completely contrary to Christianity. And yet in his mind, they not only were reconcilable, but they were the same thing. They were both ways of getting at the spiritual mysteries behind this material world. Man, well... I think that's a good teaser for when we have you on systematic ecology sometimes awesome. we can talk about it. Yeah, we can uh, dig into that. Man, yeah, that's a fun topic. That mm-hmm. is a fun topic. Um, but for now, where can people go to follow and subscribe to your podcast, 1619 and 1776? Unfortunately, nowhere, because I had to stop paying for hosting. So the episodes are um, not just readily available, but anyone can reach out to me and I'll just share a Google folder 
with the recordings of season one. And if we decide to do a season two and then get hosting again, I'll, I'll put up season one as well. I'm pretty easy to find on the internet, social media, etc. SerenaHiggins.com, a contact me box. The site is under maintenance right now, but probably will be up even by the time this episode airs. So nice. people should feel free to reach out. <laughs> nice, nice. So one thing we do like to ask every guest, um, we like to ask if you had to provide a single tangible action, just something practical that people could do right now that would help engender unity in the church. What's something that someone could do right now? They could pop online and Google churches in their area and pick a church from a wildly different tradition to attend this coming Sunday. And they could go to a church that preaches things that they passionately disagree with and make a friend. So hmm. like have a real human conversation with the pastor or a random person and try to follow up with that. Like try to get together with that person at least once more. Because I think it's really hard to do that dehumanizing thing that I mentioned earlier mm. when we're talking face to face. It's much easier for me to be like, those liberals, those conservatives, those Trumpers, those progressives, whatever, when I'm not talking to one. <laughs> yeah. Because when I'm talking to that person, they're the image of God in front of me and they're fascinating in many ways and they're right and wrong in a whole gallimaufry of ways, just like I am. And they're a mm -hmm. broken and hurting person, just like I am. So. I think yeah. that would have a really positive effect if everybody did that. Hmm. Man, what what do you you said just that have a really positive effect? What do you think it would look like? I think it would look like a shift of rhetoric of this hmm. uh, condemning kind of rhetoric. And if hmm. everyone did it, presumably that would include people who have big influence on the media and people in politics and so forth, if everyone did it. <laughs> so <laughs> then if the rhetoric changed in a public sense as well, on social media and in primetime news and so hmm. forth, wow, I think it would be a much less stressful world to live in. Hmm. Yeah, maybe a much more enjoyable world to live in. I think it would be. Wouldn't yeah. it be more fun to enjoy people who are different instead of being like, oh, they're horrible because they think that thing. I think there's a Bible verse that's like uh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers get along together. I think there like is. Yeah. There is indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now the last thing we do before our wrap up is our God moment segment. TJ loves to make me go first. It's just where we share a moment um, where God, we saw God recently. It's a blessing, challenge, whatever. Um, man, these are always... I usually have so many that I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> and, and today, for some reason, I'm just I'm struggling, um, not because God hasn't been doing stuff. It's just kind of hmm. getting back into routines, I guess, has kind of been a struggle for me recently. You know, hmm. over the summer, I had work changes and I'm finally getting work back, which is a blessing because I need money. Hmm. But I'm like, I don't think I love being in a routine. I like to have a little bit of wiggle room throughout the week. So it's kind of just a, okay, getting, getting back used to this. It's a, it's a challenge and maybe that's it. Maybe my moment is relying on God to get back into a routine without feeling like I'm in a rut. Yeah. When you said that, it made me think about the, the various traditions, you know, that we have traditions that value spontaneity and traditions that value liturgical shaping. And it seems to me that we must need both that yeah. each must express something of God's character, that we need spontaneity in our lives and unscheduled times, and we need rituals and routines and liturgies in our lives. 
Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So, uh, what about you? You have a, a moment you've seen God recently that you'd like to share with everybody? Wow. Okay, this is this is really great because um, I was going to share a beautiful moment in nature when my puppy and I saw a flock of geese landing on a lake at sunset. Nice. But <laughs> through this through this whole interview, I've been thinking of several friends of mine mm. who differ the most widely from me and yet are some of my closest friends and have stuck closer than a brother mm-hmm. during during recent uh, crises. And we know that we differ and we know that we think the other believes really horrible things about, about weapons, about immigration, about um, – and, and two of these particular friends are avowed atheists, and yet they have been there for me in deeply loving ways. So if that's not seeing the image of God <laughs> in other humans, I don't know what is. Yeah. No, I, I've been doing the same thing. It's just something about talking about unity in the ways that we've been talking about it in this episode. It's just kind of really reminiscent of, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I have some friends who believe some pretty wildly different things from myself. You know, I have my own Inklings group. <laughs> We just don't write. <laughs> yeah. You talk. Yeah. Uh, the Inklings will be podcasters now. C.S. Lewis, no question. That man would be a podcaster now. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, with that, uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you don't mind, please share it with a friend, an enemy, or a cousin. You know, we do prefer sharing with cousins. Cousins are more likely to listen, it turns out. Um, uh, of course, you know, again, I'm going to remind you, we have some super super comfortable t-shirts in the store so go to the store grab an extra large shirt with a hashtag one church on it and your favorite bible verse that we have available you won't regret it they're so nice they're so comfy anyway um check out our other shows and the Anazal ministries podcast network by going to the website that's in the show notes um you know i have one over there dummy for theology we have um christian ashley's show let nothing move you brandon has a uh, my seminary life Lots of fun over there. Check it out. And we hope you enjoyed the show. Um, Come back next week. Uh, Dr. Thomas Ord and Christian Ashley are going to be back to discuss some differing views on the doctrines of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Is it eternal? Is it a elimination? Who knows? Um, I'm going to be in that particular one. I'm going to be pretending to be um, eliminationist, I think, so that Dr. Ord can remain universalist. Uh, we are going to have Alex and Grace Trans of the Let's Unpack That podcast join us after that. Um, then following that, we're going to have a one-week break before we start a mini-series coming up on church art, art in the church. We're going to have a fun time with that. Finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us, even though he's unaware of it. He's going to be made aware of it, and then we'll see him. Hey, thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash The Whole Church Podcast or on captivate.fm or on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a one-time tip through Captivate. Thank you for listening.